Good evening. Thank you for joining us here this evening for this virtual community town hall addressing COVID-19 in the greater Fredericksburg region. I'm Xavier Richardson, Senior Vice President and Chief Development Officer of Mary Washington Healthcare. For over 120 years, Mary Washington Healthcare has addressed the healthcare needs of the people of this community. This evening, we're going to be addressing COVID-19 because many questions and issues have arisen concerning uh, the people of Fredericksburg and we're here to share with you what we know about COVID-19 and the things that we're doing to address the issue to keep our community safe and healthy. During this town hall, you'll hear and meet our panel of Mary Washington Healthcare experts and we encourage you to ask questions along the way. To get us started, I'll turn the program over to our moderator, Lisa Henry, the Director of Marketing and Communications, who will introduce our panelists. Thank you, Xavier, and welcome to our panelists. I'd like to introduce you to our President and CEO, Dr. Mike McDermott, our Chief Medical Officer and Chief Operating Officer, Dr. Christopher Newman, and our Chief Nursing Officer, Eileen Doman. I would like to ask Dr. McDermott to start us off this evening. Dr. McDermott. Great, just uh, wanna start by thanking everybody for taking some time out of your evening to tune in to learn a little bit more about COVID-19 and what's happening here at Mary Washington Healthcare and in the Fredericksburg region. I'm Mike McDermott. I'm the President and Chief Executive Officer of Mary Washington Healthcare. And as we talk about this as a team and the experiences we've had over the past five weeks and we reflect back, it's pretty incredible what's happened uh, uh, over the past five weeks in healthcare, uh, involving the, uh, the economic outlook of the entire region, state, and country. Um, pretty incredible what's happened as we've tried to navigate this COVID-19 crisis. And we wanted to bring you up to speed with what's happening here uh, at Mary Washington Healthcare and what we're seeing in our community. I do need to start, though, uh, with a message of thank you and with a message of gratitude to our community for your tremendous outreach and help that you have, you have offered us here at Mary Washington Healthcare uh, as we've gone through this COVID-19 crisis. Uh, last time we had our town hall, we issued a 5,000 mask challenge asking members of our community, to please make homemade masks and deliver them to us here at Mary Washington Healthcare so we could use them with our non-clinical personnel to help control potential spread of the COVID-19 virus. And uh, at that point in time, I think we had hundreds of masks that the community has made, had made, but we issued a 5,000 mask challenge. And wow, did our community ever respond. Currently, we have over 7,000 masks that members of our Fredericksburg community have made and donated to us at Mary Washington Healthcare. We are very grateful uh, for all that hard work and we are putting all those masks uh, to work here in our healthcare facility. A special shout out to LifePoint Church. Uh, LifePoint Church really took this challenge head on and they've delivered a significant majority of those masks to us here at Mary Washington Healthcare. Thank you all for your hard efforts. Um, I'd also like uh, to have a special message of thanks to S Power Corporation, who's doing the solar power facility installation in Spotsylvania County. They have reached out with a donation today of $200,000 to Mary Washington Healthcare to help us uh, obtain personal protective equipment to help protect our, all of our associates and patients as we navigate uh, this COVID-19 crisis and other expenses that we have going through this crisis. So a big thank you to S Power for their support of Mary Washington Healthcare and the entire Fredericksburg community as we go through this COVID-19 crisis. Uh, so many other uh, companies uh, here in the Fredericksburg region, I almost don't wanna start naming names because I'm gonna forget some people, but you know, Chick-fil-A donated uh, food to every single associate who's a member of our Mary Washington Healthcare family. We're very grateful for that. Uh, Harbor Freight made a significant donation of equipment uh, to our facility and we are, we are very grateful for them. Little Tire, so many others uh, have done 
uh, so many great things to help support us as we navigate this challenge. So uh, thank you. Uh, if anybody wants to go to our Mary Washington Healthcare website, mwhc.com, if you click on the COVID-19 banner, there's a list of items, other items that we still need here to help us as we help uh, navigate the COVID-19 crisis. So appreciate everybody's engagement. Uh, we're all in this together. And so thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you, Mike. Um, Eileen, I'd like to ask you to, uh, to give your opening remarks. Sure, and thanks, Lisa. As Mike said, you know, part of our theme for tonight is gratitude. Well, um, I, I can't express enough thanks to all of our associates here at Mary Washington Healthcare, and I mean all of our associates. Uh, you know, when we think about the COVID crisis, we're certainly focused on our nurses. Um, so many clinicians that, have, that are part of the care, the very complex care for these patients. But it's also people like our environmental services. Um, I was struck the other day, I happened to meet one of our EVS associates coming off one of the uh, cohort units where we have our COVID patients, um, and, and he looked a little weary. And so I asked him and he said, I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing the best I can. I'm gonna keep everything so clean because I don't want anybody getting sick here. Um, and that was pretty much a pervasive theme. Or the very first weekend when we had our very first COVID patients um, up on one of our units, two nurses stepped up and said, you know, we're working this weekend. One of them was working day shift, the other one was working night shift, and they said, we're gonna take care of the COVID patients because we're gonna really perfect the processes, we're gonna make sure that we do everything right, and then we're gonna teach our peers how to do this best. And just story after story of people that have stepped up, um, our associates to say, put me in coach, let me help, let me do something. And, and even outside of our clinicians, to have folks from our accounting department, our revenue cycle, or HR, sending you know, kudos and well wishes to the associates that are providing care to these patients. It's just, there's so many examples how the whole organization has come together to take care of, of these patients and to help take care of their colleagues that are taking care of these patients. So thank you, a huge thank you to every one of our Mary Washington Healthcare Associates. Thank you, Eileen. Dr. Newman? Yeah, continuing on the theme of gratitude, I just want to uh, offer my gratitude for our medical staff here at Mary Washington uh, who have been engaged from the very beginning, um, helping us plan and prepare as we face this great challenge and this uh, crisis here locally in our community. Um, their efforts, though, have been inspirational and at times heroic. Uh, just some of the shout outs that I can do are emergency medicine group. Uh, they were able to uh, obtain 10,095 masks, which are critical to protect our staff who are caring for coronavirus patients. And they donated them to the medical uh, system so that we would be able to have them to take care of uh, patients here. Uh, our intensivists, our hospitalists have been working tirelessly around the clock caring for very, very sick patients uh, as they're here in the hospital. Uh, when it looked like the number of patients in our ICU was getting to a critical level, our anesthesia colleagues, our uh, cardiology uh, physicians, uh, you know, offered to step up and uh, help manage uh, those patients. We've had many docs in our community offer to uh, come in and, and, and help, even those that aren't even employed by the health system. Our gastroenterologists and many, many others have uh, been continuously offering to uh, chip in in any way they can. And just one story of the innovative ways about how uh, we are looking to care for patients in a safe manner. Uh, Dr. Sherwood, one of our thoracic surgeons, did lung surgery on one of our patients, Mr. Johnston. And uh, in his weekend state, he was concerned about coming back for a post-operative uh, check. So uh, Dr. Sherwood's physician assistant um, came down to uh, see Mr. Johnson and do his post-operative check outside of the facility in his car so that he would feel safe um, uh, in his weekend state. So that's just one example of many, many ways uh, how our docs are stepping up to uh, serve our patients in our community. Thank you, Dr. Newman. Um, for our panelists, there has been a lot of interest uh, over the last couple of weeks of how we're doing. What is our data? What does Virginia look like? What does Mary Washington look like? So Dr. McDermott, if you could talk a little about the data here at Mary Washington Healthcare in the state of Virginia. Yeah, I'd like to, if we could put up uh, the image from the dashboard that we use here internally on these town halls. One of the reasons that uh, we wanna do these town halls is to be very transparent with everybody in our community about what does it look like here in Fredericksburg? What does it look like in 
our Mary Washington healthcare facility. So these numbers are from a dashboard, uh, part of a dashboard that we use internally that's updated continuously here. Uh, currently up at the top, we have 26 inpatients who we are caring for uh, between Mary Washington Hospital and Stafford Hospital who have tested positive uh, for COVID-19. And so they are under inpatient care. Uh, right under that, you see we have 24 members of our community that we've cared for previously that have, we, have, we have discharged back to their homes. Uh, so that is great news. Uh, 74 patients that have been in our ER or other outpatient areas that have tested positive. Uh, we have had four patients who we have cared for who have uh, succumbed to COVID-19 and have passed away. Yeah, those patients, uh Three of them were in their 80s. Uh, all four of them did have significant comorbid conditions, and uh, the families were even involved in the care at the end and, and decided to withdraw care from several. Um, but it just shows how critical this disease can be. We have 33 other patients uh, between Mary Washington Hospital and Stafford Hospital who we consider to be patients under investigation. These are patients who are showing signs and symptoms of having COVID-19, but we don't yet have their test results back to know if they are COVID positive or not. Overall, uh, we have conducted testing on over a thousand members of our Fredericksburg community, and we have 108 uh, total positive test results back uh, for COVID-19. So that's a snapshot of what it currently looks like here uh, at our Mary Washington healthcare facilities. Uh, the next slide, uh, do you have the slide with the state data? So uh, there's lots, there's a couple of websites in the state I just want to point members of our community to. Uh, the Virginia Department of Health has a website that they update uh, daily, but also the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association has a website uh, that they are now posting data daily of what's happening in all the hospitals in the Commonwealth of Virginia. The number of hospitalizations uh, and a host of other uh, criteria, including the numbers of uh, ventilators uh, that are currently in use in the Commonwealth of Virginia, how many ventilators are available, and, uh, and other data that you might find interesting. So I encourage you uh, to look at the Virginia Department of Health website, uh, the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association website. Uh, those are websites that you can trust, the data that's being reported there, and it's being updated regularly. Um, the last graphic that I wanted to bring up is one of the models uh, that is used to project uh, COVID activity uh, into the future. There are, there's lots of different models being utilized to project uh, the future COVID-19 activity, uh, not just uh, at the national level, but also uh, more granular at the state and even local levels based on some of the specifics that are happening uh, within local communities. Uh, we use a variety of those models to look at. Up in front of you is a model that is uh, uh, based out of the data that comes out of the University of Washington. And, uh, and you can see this model projects that we still have a peak ahead of us. Uh, I think it projects the peak to occur within the next few weeks uh, here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, but when I showed this model to you on our last town hall, uh, the peak was much higher. And uh, the peak, uh, also involved a number of hospitalizations and intensive care unit admissions that would have exceeded our capacity to care for everybody in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Now with the stay at home orders and the social distancing that has been taken so seriously uh, by every member of our community, those models show that we are flattening the curve. They are doing what we knew it would do if everybody took those stay at home orders and the social distancing orders seriously. And we are seeing a flattening of the curve. So congratulations to everybody. Uh, what we are doing is working and thank you because it is keeping the number of sick members of our community within our capacity to care for them uh, to the best of our abilities. And so thank you all for those efforts. It also shows with, uh, with a peak still ahead of us that it's not over and we need to stick with it. I know it can be tempting as the weather gets nice to loosen up and maybe not take those social distancing measures as seriously, but we have to all commit to one another that we're gonna take those measures seriously. This is a marathon, it's not a sprint. And so we have to treat it as such. We have a long road ahead of us still, but we do know that what we are doing is working. So thank you to everybody for that. So that's a look at some of the data and uh, what's currently going on here uh, at our Mary Washington healthcare facilities uh, treating members of our Fredericksburg community.
Thank you, Dr. McDermott. Dr. Newman, other questions that have come in earlier this week are a lot of questions people are asking on how are we treating our COVID-19 patients? Are we using the leading edge science here in Fredericksburg, Virginia? Yeah. Although there are no proven treatments for coronavirus at this point or FDA uh, proven treatments, there are many different treatments that have shown uh, some efficacy and shown some promise uh, in, in, as we've looked at it in other countries, how they've been used and in other peer organizations here in the United States. We are continuously looking at the latest evidence on what the best practices are to treat our patients as they struggle with coronavirus. Uh, some of those techniques that we're um, deploying here include the uh, antiviral drug, which is being used as a study drug, remdesivir. So we are using that. We've been using hydroxychloroquine. Uh, there's now evidence to show that delaying intubation, meaning putting somebody on life support or a ventilator, and using high-flow oxygen instead, uh, patients do better with that. So we are deploying that here. Uh, there's also a technique called proning, which means uh, rotating people from their back to their, uh, to their chest, laying on their stomach for a while, back and forth, and that helps the lungs aerate and oxygenate better over time. So we have been doing that with some success here. Uh, we're also looking at uh, convalescent serum, and that is something that has been de deployed successfully at a few institutions, and that is where you take the plasma of somebody who's had coronavirus and recovered and has some antibodies in that plasma, and then you infuse it into somebody who is here and critically ill, and that may give them a boost of immunity to help them fight the infection. So we are continuously deploying the latest technology here in our Fredericksburg community. Thank you, Dr. Newman. And Eileen, how are our patients doing, and how are our staff holding up? Lisa, our patients are very sick, um, and so when they come to us, they really do take a lot of care and a lot of attention. Um, our staff are really tenacious and resilient. Uh, and so every day you're pretty, you're amazed at sort of what the staff have done. Very, very focused on their own safety and also focused on the safety of our patients. And so making sure that in the care that they're providing that they're following those doctor's orders very closely. You know, Chris talked about the proning. That's often very difficult for somebody who was very sick or maybe on a ventilator and getting that patient to be safely able to be on their stomach because that's a better way for them to get full lung expansion and to really be able to, to take those deep breaths that we need them to take. Um, but the staff have, have done a, a great job. Um, you know, we've in, employed a couple of sort of different ways of how we use the staff. So everyone is used to that for a patient, you see our nurses and you see our nursing assistants providing care or the respiratory therapist. But we've also done a couple of creative things. So we have a, a group of nurses that we're calling our infection prevention coaches. Um, and they are deployed 24-7 across both of our hospitals. And their job is to go to each of the areas where we have the COVID-19 patients and to actually watch watch staff putting their PPE on, taking their PPE off to make sure that they don't contaminate themselves or they don't run the risk of contaminating others. Um, up at Stafford, they've even donned a, uh, their own, they've coined their own term for that person. They've called it a doffer, Because when we talk about putting on PPE or taking it off, to put it on, you don, to take it off, you doff. And so Stafford has doffers. Um, there's actually somebody available 24-7 that can be called by anyone in the hospital to say, I'm about to go into a COVID room. Please come and watch me as I'm putting on my PPE to make sure I do it appropriately. I'm leaving the room. Please make sure that I take it off appropriately so I don't risk contaminating myself or anyone else that's working with me or, heaven forbid, to another patient that I may be taking care of. So everyone has been extremely creative in trying to think of different roles that we can use um, to help us take care of these very sick patients. So our staff is doing amazingly well um, and is extremely resilient, but it is tiring. Um, and I think what you see, as Mike mentioned, this is a marathon and into week five, I think what, we're, what you start to see a little bit is a little bit of that compassion fatigue where people, it has been a long time, they have been doing this for a while. Um, and what's really, really special then is watching how their peers are helping to bolster them. So staff on other units um, are sending lunch to a, a cohort unit to say thank you or hey, hang in there. Um, if you walk around our buildings, you'll see lots of hearts on the windows 
Um, we, for one of our associates that's sick, there's a window that's dedicated to, that has hearts um, with notes uh, for, for her to, to get better quickly. Um, and so really relying on their peers and their colleagues to help bolster them um, is really important and has been really helpful. Um, we've taken staff lounges. So for each of our cohort units uh, where we have um, COVID patients is we've created a bigger space where staff that are on the unit can have a place where they can take a break and they can really step away from the care that they're providing. Um, and I was in one of those, um, those new areas last week that had just opened up and the room was filled as a surprise with messages from their sister colleagues, their other nurses on the other units around them, welcoming them to their new space and hoping that they could enjoy it as a healthy, restful place um, that they could um, be able to take a break. Today, we had a huge highlight um, and, and you look for great things to celebrate. Well, we happen to have two of our COVID positive patients get discharged. One of them was someone who had been intubated in the ICU um, and they were discharged. And so the buzz was in the building that one was getting discharged at 2.30 and one was getting discharged at three. Um, well, we've been social distancing in the hospital, so nobody's hanging out anywhere. Um, but the atrium um, was full, uh, probably at least 100 plus people mostly socially distancing, but everyone wearing masks um, because they wanted to be there to be able to say goodbye to these two very special patients. Um, and so with great anticipation, we waited for the elevator doors to open to get the high sign that this was the patient that was coming. It happened to be during a time when we um, have a lot of patients being discharged. So there were actually a couple of patients that got applauded as they left, kind of wondering what was going on. Uh, a mom with a new baby got celebrated as she left. Uh, but for those two former COVID patients, um, they were crying. And I would say there weren't too many dry eyes in the atrium because um, the, just the celebration of there was a time for each of those patients that they weren't sure that they were hugely uplifting to our staff. So it's hard. It's tiring. This is a long haul. Um, but I'm just amazed at the resilience of our, of our staff and how much they reach out to help each other. Thank you, Eileen. We're going to go ahead and jump into some question and answer now. So I'd like to start with you, Dr. Newman. We're getting a lot of questions um, on testing. You know, uh, we're seeing new cases still, even if we're flattening the curve. So should be people still be seeking care and getting tests? And where would they do that? Yeah, so a week ago, uh, testing was very limited and it took a very long time to get results back. So we were limiting the testing to uh, hospitalized patients and perhaps some healthcare uh, providers. Um, now, in the last several days, uh, testing has become more widely available in our region. Uh, and we have multiple labs that we're able to uh, send tests to. And the turnaround time to get results is anywhere from 24 to 72 hours now, so much better. And in fact, uh, we even have uh, some capability to do some testing internally for some of our hospitalized patients where we can get a 45 minute uh, turnaround time. And uh, you know, a shout out to uh, Senator Mark Warner and Representative uh, Whitman who really were instrumental in us being able to get that testing capability here uh, locally at Mary Washington. So great thanks to them. So now with this more availability of testing, we are now moving to testing patients who are outpatients and may not have a disease that's serious enough to make them come to the hospital, but they still want to be able to be tested. We have three locations where folks can get tested, including uh, um, here at Fredericksburg on Charles Street, uh, our King George Urgent Care, and that at Stafford Hospital. You do need an order from your primary care physician in order to get tested. And if you do not have a primary care physician, we have same day availability through one of our Mary Washington Medical Group primary care physicians who can see you even virtually through a telehealth visit and give you an order and assess you uh, for a test. And then you're scheduled for the test. So it's not drive up on demand, but you can be scheduled for your uh, test. It only takes a matter of minutes and it is a drive-through testing site. So we're really encouraging people at this point to get tested. We're able to test uh, well over 100 patients a day through these uh, sites. So we do have the ability to do that. And we wanna make sure that our first responders, local healthcare providers not associated with Mary Washington, it's critical that they get tested as well. And speaking of, of tested, we did have one question online about the availability of antibody testing for those who may believe they've already been exposed. When would that become available? 
So we've ordered that technology here at, at Mary Washington and we hope to have that uh, very soon. It's unclear how to use that technology and there's been a lot in the news recently about how we should be using these antibody tests. It is not the best to test somebody to see if you're acutely ill, if you actually have coronavirus at this point. Um, we feel that it'll be much more important as a surveillance technique to see if you've had exposure to coronavirus in the past and that you may have immunity to it uh, potentially. So many people are uh, asymptomatic, we're finding, that have never had symptoms of coronavirus and have been infected. Uh, there are others that may have had mild symptoms and they aren't sure. Uh, so these antibody tests may be deployed more broadly uh, and we'll be able to see who may have immunity and who's been exposed. And it may, even for healthcare providers, uh, allow us to know who's safer to uh, involve in the care of uh, coronavirus patients and who maybe we deploy to other areas. Thank you, Dr. Newman. Eileen, could you speak to exposure of staff and those tested positive here at Mary Washington Healthcare? Yeah, we have had some of our staff that have been exposed. And so between our nurse, nursing staff and our physicians, um, at this point about 13 of them have tested positive for COVID. Um, most of them um, have had mild or no symptoms. Um, there are a couple that have been more seriously impacted by the disease. Um, and I will say that, that what the message that that drives home for all of us is to keep the, the huge diligence on focusing on the appropriate use of PPE and, and keeping everyone protected. We have heroes here at Mary Washington Healthcare mm -hmm. yes, we coming do. into work every day to care for members of our community who are acutely ill. And so yeah. uh, I don't, we don't forget that. You see this story happening nationally uh, where healthcare personnel on the front lines of caring for COVID-19 patients are themselves uh, coming down with COVID-19. And so mm -hmm. uh, we're doing everything we can here at Mary Washington Healthcare uh, to make sure that all the members of our Mary Washington Healthcare family safe. Uh, are safe and, and have everything that they need to care for our patients in our community. Yeah. And we have that question came up uh, just a moment ago of do our associates have enough PPE and is there more that the community could be doing in that area to donate to, to the organization? So for PPE, we're following certainly the CDC standards and, and working really hard to make sure that our associates do have the PPE that we need. Uh, and so again, since we cohort or we keep the, those COVID patients, whether they've been positive or we're, they're under investigation pending test results, um, that we follow a very high standard of following personal protective equipment. So when those units are clinical staff are wearing N95 masks, the standard of care that's out there right now by the CDC is that we could be using surgical masks, but we've chosen, since we have an ample supply of N95s, to make sure that they're wearing N95 masks. Uh, they're wearing gowns, uh, they're wearing gloves, they're wearing goggles, they're wearing face shields. And so we've been extremely fortunate through um, lots of um, um, avenues of getting uh, many things that are donated. I also have to give a shout out to our supply chain. Um, talk about a tireless group that has left no stone unturned looking for PPE anywhere that they can find it. Um, and so making sure that the PPE is available, keeping track of what we have, um, and making sure that we can um, keep it in ample supply. So we monitor it very closely because it certainly is not plentiful um, and we've worked hard to get to the levels of PPE that we have um, and, and I believe we are doing a very good job. I think the most important thing to remember about the PPE is the putting on and the taking off and that's where those infection prevention coaches and those officers um, are so, so important and so, so helpful. Um, and so I think we've worked really hard around PPE and know how important it is to be able to keep our associates safe as well as the patients that we're caring for. Yeah, it, it's just a reality that the global nature of this pandemic has broken the medical supply chains um, yeah. uh, really across the world. And uh, when those supply chains uh, get broken, it leads to inconsistency in our ability to receive the supplies that would traditionally we've taken for granted in the conventional healthcare world. And right. we're not in the conventional mode of care anymore because our supply chains are just so inconsistent. We've been fortunate here that we do have uh, the supplies that we need. Mm -hmm. um, there is some hope on the horizon that those supply chains may be restored at some point in the hopefully not too distant future. But I'm a realist and until those things are so happening and the supplies are here, yeah. uh, I don't believe them. But 
there are some signs out there that there may be light at the end of the tunnel and things might be improving uh, into the future. And we're hopeful that that happens, but, uh, but until they're here, uh, you know, we keep, we keep doing the work that we do to make sure uh, that we are using all of our personal protective equipment uh, to the best of its ability and to, the, uh, to, have it, to have its maximal use. Speaking of uh, future supply chain issues, we actually had a question of, will, has this pandemic encouraged us to potentially continue a st emergency stockpile after this is over for this, if this were to ever happen again? Could we talk a little about emergency stockpile? Yeah, well, we, we had uh, an, an emergency stockpile like most health systems did in the event of, uh, of a disaster or an emergency, right? And we have declared a state of emergency here in Mary Washington Healthcare. The state has declared a state of emergency. The nation has declared a state of emergency over this pandemic. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I do think, you know, it, it's hard to predict the future. But as you look into the future, you can imagine uh, a scenario where uh, our, our supplies are maybe more robust than they are today. You want to learn from your experiences as well. Um, creating, uh, uh, you know, first in, uh, first out sort of uh, supply chains uh, to allow you to rotate through a greater stock are things that we, I think we would all consider uh, in the yeah. future. Well, and it, what's also true is this is so different from any other kind of emergency that we've prepared for as having supplies. When we've done this before, it's been, well, there's going to be a hurricane or there's a major snowstorm um, or even 9-11 for that matter. It was an event. It happened. You needed a lot of PPE, but they were isolated to a certain ge geography. When before had we ever even imagined that there would be something that would be a worldwide pandemic? So it isn't just us looking for a PPE. It's, it's the everybody. whole world looking yeah. for a PPE. And so to, to plan for that in the future, do I think we'll look at things differently going forward? Sure. Um, but I don't think in, your, in our wildest dreams you would have imagined this. Yes. And we're there with the rest of the world. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're in good yeah. company. Yeah. 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 Let's talk a little bit about flattening the curve. You mentioned it earlier in your conversation, Dr. McDermott. Um, we had a couple of questions that speak to this, one of which was, why do we keep pushing the peak date back or moving it around? What is, what is behind that? And even questions like, is wearing masks in public actually helpful? And is that helping flatten the, cur the curve when they do have to go out of their home? Could you yeah. speak to that? So uh, in regards to flattening the curve and pushing the peak outward, which is one of the effects of flattening the curve uh, is by, by pushing, by flattening the curve and pushing the peak more distantly into the future, it keeps those patients that require highly acute care, like being hospitalized or maybe an intensive care unit bed or maybe even a ventilator, it keeps the amount of those patients that require it at any time within our ability to handle those right. patients. And I think you can see some of those areas where the curve has not been flattened and they have a very, very steep curve, uh, an up and down kind of hill on those, uh, on those models. They go beyond the ability of their healthcare system to care for all of those patients the way they need care. Right. And it can lead to, to much higher mortality rates and much worse outcomes in those communities. So uh, we don't want that to happen here. And so part of the efforts of flattening the curve will be that pushing of the, the peak out into a more future date but it keeps everybody within our ability to care for them. And that's what's most important. Uh, in regards to wearing uh, masks in public, um, which I do encourage everybody to wear a mask when they're out in public, um, most of the, the thought behind that is not necessarily to protect you from obtaining coronavirus, but if you happen to be infected with the, the COVID-19 disease and you go out, there may be a period of time where you're not symptomatic but you might be shedding the virus into the community. And by wearing a mask, if you're in those periods of time where you're not yet showing symptoms, uh, by wearing a mask, you can decrease the amount of droplets that you spread into the community and maybe keep others from catching the disease from you. I think that is the most important factor in everybody wearing a mask. Uh, it's really a message of showing that you care for others. By wearing the mask and donning the mask, you're showing others that you care about them. Because if you might be in that period where you have COVID-19, you're not yet showing symptoms, but you're, you're shedding droplets, by wearing that mask, you're showing others that you care for them, you wouldn't want them to become infected from you. 
And I think that's the most important message. I, I encourage everybody uh, to wear a mask when they're out in public currently. Thank you. I'm going to ask two more questions about public health and how people can support us, and then we're going to transition to some other questions. The first one is, um, if somebody is positive but asymptomatic, do we even know how long they're contagious or anything else about the virus at this point? I think on, the honest answer to that is to, if they're totally asymptomatic through the course of disease, we don't know that. I think uh, people, if, if you catch it and you're totally asymptomatic, I think uh, we believe that there is a period of time that you are contagious and are probably sped, spreading that throughout the community and you, you are unaware. Uh, if, if that's uh, similar to the patients who come down with symptoms, uh, we think that period of time is, is measured probably in about a week or less than a week uh, period of time when you are contagious to others. And it typically happens on average about five days after you're exposed to the virus. Um, that's, uh, that's the typical onset of symptoms and that period maybe right before the onset of symptoms is when they're saying you might have you might be maximally contagious. Yeah, that's right. And one more question that's directed to you, Dr. McDermott. Um, a retired family physician without a current license and over 70 is asking how great is the need for our retired providers to get back into uh, the Virginia Medical Reserve um, Corps? Well, there has been a call by the governor of Virginia to increase uh, the number of uh, healthcare personnel available in our medical reserve corps. And so, um, you know, we're hopeful that we don't need to draw on that. If we continue with our efforts to flatten the curve and we keep up with everything that we're doing now, hopefully we won't need to draw on that reserve corps. But having it available uh, in case there is a need for it, I think is important. So uh, if, if, uh, if members of our healthcare community uh, want to rise to that challenge and register with the Medical Reserve Corps, I would encourage them to do it. Um, it would only be utilized in a time of great need. Yeah. Thank you. Um, we've had a few questions about what's happening in the hospital. For, for one, is the hospital full? And how are we helping our patients stay connected with their family and loved one outside? So let's start with the hospital being full. Uh, Dr. McDermott, can you speak to that? I can talk about that. Uh, our hospital uh, is there are, it's a tale of two cities, right? There are certain areas of our hospital, our intensive care unit, our cohorted COVID floors that are extremely busy right now with a high level and high intensity of care. Mm -hmm. um, but because we have done things like stop uh, non-urgent medical procedures and elective procedures and surgeries, there's another segment of our hospital that is eerily quiet at this point in time. Um, also, with the reduction in visitation and other steps that we've taken to protect our staff and our patients who need hospitalization currently, I, I would think if you walked the halls of our hospital, mm. it's a pretty quiet place compared to what it is traditionally in conventional care mode. Um, it, is, it is not that, it, it definitely is quieter. Our hospital is not full by any means. We have plenty of uh, medical surgical beds in our hospital that traditionally are utilized with those elective procedural care that we do routinely that is not happening currently and so those beds are are empty and care isn't being provided there we have other areas of our hospital that are very very busy uh, with very high levels of acute care and, and high levels of intensity of care um, happening in our, in our four walls it's uh, it, there's really contrasts happening Thank you. And Dr. Newman, could you speak to, um, uh, Dr. McDermott mentioned about the elective cases. There have been questions, when would we potentially see elective cases returning? Yeah. So the answer to that is when it's safe. Uh, when it is safe to resume elective procedures, we will do so. Um, given the flattening of the curve, we're having some optimism that that may be occurring in the next uh, several weeks. But it's difficult to predict at this point. Um, we are conferring regularly with uh, the governor's office, uh, state agencies, and also some of our peer health systems throughout the region to try to make that decision together as, as when is it safe to resume elective procedures. And we use the term elective, but these are medically necessary procedures. And when they're delayed too long, we worry that there could be harm to patients. So we have put together a team here locally of uh, surgeons, anesthesiologists, nurses, and some of our operational leaders to begin preparing how do we resume uh, elective procedures in a safe way. 
Um, some things that we may be doing that are a little bit different, uh, we'll be scheduling kind of a week at a time of the surgeries, and we're going to be looking at what are our supplies. Do we have enough supplies to safely do these procedures during the week and not divert supplies away from caring for coronavirus in our frontline staff? Uh, we'll be looking at medications, looking at the blood supply uh, on hand for the week, uh, and many other different things. Um, we'll also uh, probably be testing all patients. Uh, you would have to be asymptomatic, not have any signs or symptoms of coronavirus to get your procedure done, uh, but we would also still be doing testing to ensure your safety as well as the safety of our staff um, that when you came in for your procedure, you do not have coronavirus. So. Um, We'll, we'll be communicating it when, it when it is safe, but we're optimistic it may be soon. And there's been many questions about visitation and how our families are staying connected with their patients and caregivers. So if we could start with visitation, do we anticipate allowing visitors back into the hospital and then follow that up with how are we staying, keeping our patients connected to their families? Yeah, well, and then I would say it's such a strange thing to not have visitors in the hospital. It really is a significant change. And so for families that aren't able to be with their loved ones that are in the hospital, um, it's very difficult and it's, all, and it's very difficult for us as well. And so on each of our units, the nurses are working and physicians are working very hard to make sure that patients can stay connected to their families. Um, and so doing a, a number of different things. So on some of our units, we're making sure that nurses are calling families at certain times of the day to provide regular updates each day. Uh, we're also looking at technology. How can technology help us? Um, and so there's a, a new video um, platform that we're using that patients can use the iPad that's in their room and they can actually video communicate with their loved ones. And so making that available to patients. Um, really looking for whatever opportunities we can to help uh, patients stay connected to their loved ones. Um, just to hear that familiar voice, to see that face um, can make such a difference. We also have lots of family members that are bringing things in to patients. So bringing in their laptop, their iPad, their devices, their phones, their hearing aids um, are really, really important. Um, or bringing in that familiar sweatshirt or something that just makes the patient feel more comfortable. And so we're encouraging that. Now, what that means for that family member is coming to the front door, um, meeting with our, our great security um, force, and then having somebody from the unit come down and bring that, that item back up to the patient. So it really is very, very difficult. Um, and I think that's for, for nurses and physicians, we're used to dealing with families all the time. To not have them really does feel like there's something missing in the building. And so I think all of our caregivers are working really hard to try to make sure that we keep patients connected to their loved ones. Thank you, Eileen. How else do you think the community could help Mary Washington Healthcare and our providers? Well, you know, we started by talking about our, our feelings of gratitude. In so many ways, I'm not sure that there. What else could they do? They've done so much, but but I will tell you about some of the little things that do make a big difference. And so. For people in our community that put a, have put up signs around the campus, and I can't tell you what it meant that driving into work into our parking garage and to have sign after sign after sign that said things like heroes work here or thank you, it makes you feel good. Um, the, the, the hearts on windows around the community. Um, I live in a community that um, has adopted the white ribbons on the mailbox. Um, and I'll tell you, I live at the end of a street, um, and every morning as I pull out my street and I see those white ribbons, um, it is heartwarming, and it does make you feel like, yeah, you know, we can do this, this is important, this is what we do for our community. So those little things um, that community members can do for healthcare workers, for members of our team that are here, um, those, you have no idea how, how special those, those small actions are and how much they mean. Um, we also um, have implemented something new called an innovation team. We've got lots of very creative people in our community um, that have come up with lots of different ideas about how they could help us with PPE um, or um, other sorts of items. And so we've just started our innovation team this week. Uh, we're going to have information on our website that if people have ideas about things that they think that they could create, um, then there'll be a form that people can, com uh, can submit um, and a process that we'll go, go through. So just today, uh, we were testing and looking at two different options for, we have a number of our N95 masks that, have, that um, have been with us for a little while and the elastic bands on them are snapping. And so two different solutions that came, one came from a member of our staff 
um, another from our community, um, and we're testing those out to see if that's if there's something that can work because we have a lot of these N95s that we could put into use if we were able to fix the straps. Um, and so again, thinking about those innovative ideas that people in our community may have, we want to make sure that we look at those and see if any of those are things that we can incorporate into our planning going forward. Thank you, Eileen. We're getting some questions. We had some earlier this week in anticipation, but then we were also hearing anecdotes um, from our own providers and our own associates that there are people who are scared to come to the hospital. They think we're overwhelmed with COVID. They think that our field hospitals, you know, flooding, and they're afraid that by coming to the hospital, they're gonna be exposed. Dr. Newman, can you talk a little about, about that? Yeah, I, I think this is a, a significant concern. Uh, just today, I saw a survey by a national company called NRC that said up to 53% of Americans have admitted delaying potentially medically necessary care because they're afraid to come to the hospital or to see a physician during this time. Uh, that's of great concern uh, to us, and you know, we folks could get harmed without the coronavirus, but for other things. When we look at uh, who's in our hospital getting treated at this time, we see far less people coming in for heart care or other care, stroke care, than we would typically see. So I, I, I suspect even in our region here in Fredericksburg, there are people who are uh, delaying care. Uh, and we strongly recommend against that. We have done a lot of things to keep people safe who don't have coronavirus when they seek medically necessary care here. Uh, we've limited the visitation at the hospital. We're masking everybody within our facilities. Um, you know, we, we have our cohorted units, so all our coronavirus patients are kept on the same units away from people who have other um, medical problems. So we would just strongly urge people to uh, seek medical care. This has not been a one or a two week uh, pandemic. This is gonna last weeks to months, and it really could be dangerous to delay your care. Um, we're also looking in our medical group and outpatient practices, even for the folks that are having some anxiety about coming, we have telehealth uh, capabilities. Uh, so please contact your physicians, don't delay care. Uh, we have many, many ways to care for you here and we wanna make sure you're getting cared for. You know, Chris, when you mentioned about people being afraid to come to our emergency rooms or come to the hospitals, I did get a request today from uh, the nurses in our emergency departments that if people are coming to the emergency room for a, a emergency care, and we welcome you coming, and we will do everything we can to keep you safe, but we do have a request, is please make sure you bring with you a, a list of your current medications. Um, medication lists are so important to us in the hospital because it gives us a lot of information about your background, your medical history, and how we can best take care of you in the hospital. In normal times, we rely on family members to bring in that list. So someone may come to the hospital and then the family brings the medication list the next day. But we don't have the family member able to visit. So if you're somebody that needs to come to our emergency departments, please do, but bring that current medication list with you so we can do the very best job of taking care of you. Yeah, and one other thing, you know, we. In normal times, we're hyper vigilant about keeping our hospitals and facilities clean, but we've just increased our, uh, you know, uh, vigilance on keeping our facilities clean. And our EVS teams have been working tirelessly around the clock. Another group to give a shout out to, uh, to really keep us all safe. Uh, so, uh, really, a lot of efforts around cleaning our facilities as well. Thank you to our panelists. On the note of gratitude this evening. Um, I will say that the overwhelming comments coming in on our, our live feed tonight is of gratitude to all of our staff, to all of you, and for everybody who's helping keep our community safe. We're wrapping up um, tonight's event, so I'd like to give each of you just a couple of minutes if you have any advice or offers of gratitude or any other stories you want to share tonight. I'd, I'd like for you to, uh, to, to, to go ahead. And so, uh, Dr. Newman, if you have any particular gratitude that you'd like to share, we yeah. welcome that. I would just like to say, you know, we're, a lot of us are focused on the negatives during this time. Uh, there's a lot of fear about uh, maybe our own economic situations, losing jobs, about getting sick. We're, we're scared about our loved ones getting sick. Uh, but there's a lot of positives. And, uh, you know, my gratitude, I'm just amazed at how everyone in this community has come together um, within the walls of the hospital, how uh, physicians and nurses and staff members are working together as a team in ways that, 
you know, I've never seen before. And it, it's just truly inspiring how our community and our staff have all come together in a common foe being a virus. Um, and it, that just gives me great inspiration. Yeah, I, I would echo what Chris said as far as just huge thanks to, to our associates, to our medical staff, and to our community. Um, you know, no, no, none of us could have imagined being in a situation like this. Um, and it, you know, at this point, it's hard not to know someone that hasn't been infected. And I think that's the big change that we've seen over the last week or so is prior to that it was there was a small number of patients that we would see in the hospital. But now we encounter our associates that they themselves have family members or they have neighbors or they have friends who have been impacted by the virus or impacted by the economic impact. Yeah. Um, and so I would just ask that everyone be thoughtful about you really have no idea what the person that you're talking to is really dealing with. Um, and so for all of us to, to keep working really hard together to take care of our community, it's our privilege to be your healthcare provider here. Um, but we're also part of your, uh, this is our community too. And I think the more that we can take care of each other and take care of our community, that's how we're gonna get through this. And so it is by working together and being together um, and being here for each other. Now, I guess I'll just end by saying that uh, uh, I am just struck by the, the care and compassion that I see throughout our Fredericksburg community, um, everybody coming together. Um, it, it's really, you know, the message is, is just, it's something that I couldn't have even mm -hmm. predicted, mm -hmm. the level that I see that uh, care and compassion at. Um, our Mary Washington healthcare family, um, like I said earlier, just heroes coming here mm -hmm. every single day making sure our community has the care that it needs. I can tell you there's no better place uh, that you can come to get care than here at Mary Washington Healthcare uh, with our team that is rising to the challenge. So I'm very thankful for everybody and I'm proud to be a member of the Mary Washington Healthcare team. Um, just a, a closing message for everybody. Remember, uh, the worst is probably still ahead of us here and we all have to commit to stick with what we're doing. We know that it's working but we need to commit to stick with it. And remember that you know we are gonna get through this, but we're gonna do it together. And uh, we're all here with one another together, and we'll come through it on the other side. So thank you all for committing. Thank you for your interest in seeing what's going on here at Mary Washington Healthcare. We're happy to share with you, and we'll probably continue to do these town halls uh, as we navigate this COVID-19 crisis in our community. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you, panelists. On behalf of Mary Washington Healthcare, Thanks to our panelists for providing your expertise this evening. We also appreciate you joining us to learn about COVID-19 in our community and sending in your questions. For the latest local COVID-19 information, stay tuned to the Mary Washington Healthcare Facebook page and visit us online at mwhc.com. Good night.